Let's get started. This is Advent. So we're going to begin with um, a reading and lighting of the candles. So Anne, come on up. The birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Thank you so much. Good job. So the first uh, candle in the order of Advent is the candle of hope. And um, hope means a lot of different things to a lot of people, but it is a word that feels good. When we sit with the word hope, and if you just to sit with it for a moment, there's a sense in which you might feel uh, warmth around that word. You might feel lifted up around it. But then you also, especially if you've had a lot of pain in your life, a lot of loss, a lot of disappointments, that hope can also have a sour taste to it because you've tasted the loss of hope. And, and maybe depending upon where you are today, uh, you might be more in that space, more in the space of uh, of, of feeling as though reality is, is opposed and against um, hope. Um, but let's uh, do this as a sort of crowdsourcing this morning uh, to give some thoughts and feeling and maybe definition around hope. Uh, what do you hope for? Think about that for a moment. What do you hope for? What drives your life? If you're, if you're not driven by hope, what are you driven by? What are you guided by? What keeps you going? What gets you up in the morning? And for some of you, it's like, you know, school, work, <laughs> your wife, yeah, okay, your husband, whatever. Uh, man, you're going to get up. There's always something that's going to cause you to get up, right? You're going to, you, you, you have to be driven by something, but oftentimes we're driven by things of just pure need. Like I have to get up because I've got these things to do. But unless you're driven by hope or guided by hope, there's, uh, the options really aren't that that great. You, you know, you're, 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 you're just trying to make it through the day. You're just trying to make it through another week, through another month, through another year. And if that's the way you live, that's a pretty sad existence. And it's a pretty dark existence. But if you live with something else that's guiding you, that you have a goal, that you have a vision, that you have a hope that something can be different in your life and in the world around you, then that's what keeps you going despite sometimes what reality presents to you. And so what do you hope for when it comes to this country? Let's break it down and make it very practical. What do you hope for when it comes to this country? 
What about this world? What do you hope for when it comes to the business world in America? What do you hope for when it comes to education? What about science? What about spirituality? What about your family? What about you? What do you hope for? Well, we're beginning this season around the person of Jesus, the Advent. Advent simply means coming or arrival. And so this is the Advent, the coming of the Christ, the coming of Jesus. And many people who think about Advent think about this hope. This is, this is the hope, the coming of the Savior, the coming of the one who will rescue us who will save us from our sins, who will save us from the problems in this world. We have this hope, right? Isn't that what hope looks like? It's the, it's, it's the anticipation that something, someone is coming who is going to rescue us. We need Superman in our lives, don't we? Ah, and this has been true way before the time of Jesus. Think about this early on. In the Bible, and you may or may not know the story. It's not necessary that you do know it because I'll just share a few thoughts about it. But you have the story uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, where you have this book called the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is actually most scholars believe and most theologians believe it should actually be referred to as deliverers because that's what the, the name or the term in Hebrew really meant was these were deliverers. Now, if you've read the book of Judges, it does read like a Marvel comic. You've got all kinds of problems that exist and they're being oppressed by, you know, this, these, these people, these Jews are being oppressed or taken into slavery by these other uh, nations around them, these other cities. And when they're taken uh, control of, they cry out to their God. And then what happens is there's a deliverer that rises up who's got miraculous abilities, you know, powers, and he delivers them or she delivers them in the case of Deborah. And so great things are happening there and they get rescued. But then what happens is that they fall back into the very behaviors that got them into trouble to begin with. And that's the way the story reads over and over and over again. And if you read it and you read it as a kid, you, you, you know, you hear the stories. It's like, woohoo, yeah, that's awesome. You know, you got Samson you've got. But when you read through it as an adult, you start to realize this is a depressing story. This is really, this is terrible. Like, wait, you know, every story starts up and ends the same way. Right? So there's this like rescuing, this God who, who intervenes. There's hope. We're hoping, we're praying for a deliverer. The deliverer arises, saves them, intervenes in their, in their world, and then rescues them out of it, only for them to fall back into the very behaviors that got them stuck to begin with, and then they cry out for another deliverer. The deliverer comes, rescues them, and then they do the same stupid thing over and over again. And you want to go, when did these people and how did these people not get it? But then what happens is as you're pointing your fingers in that direction, the fingers end up pointing right back at you like, oh, right, that's about me. It's about me, right? But what they were hoping for was some deliverer who would rescue them. An intervening God is what they were praying to. 
A God who exists outside somewhere in the heavens who occasionally interrupts this world and the way it works through prayers, through crying out to him. And this God comes, intervenes, rescues, and then disappears for a while. And it's really annoying. This is the problem with even Moses and Moses intervenes. Moses is like God intervening for the nation of Israel, for these Jewish people who are enslaved to Egypt. Right? You remember that story? They're enslaved to Egypt. Moses comes in and rescues them and through miraculous powers. And these people think, oh my God, we have a deliverer. This is fantastic. We're going to get out. But then of course, then they also doubt it and they accuse him of a whole lot of things. And Moses finally gets them out and then they're, 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 they're leaving Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and they're stuck. Where do we go from here? And the people start complaining. Why weren't there enough graves in Egypt, Moses? Thank you. Great plan. I love it. You you get us out of here only to have us killed out in the desert, which is even worse because it's really dry, hot. I'm thirsty and I'm going to die thirsty. No comfort whatsoever. Thank you. And Moses says, wait, 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 wait. God will deliver us. Be still. Stand still. Don't worry about it. God will deliver us. And then as he says that, right, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this going, wow, this is, Moses is really awesome, right? He's like, don't worry about this. Stand firm. God's going to rescue us. And then God goes, what are you doing waiting and standing here to Moses? Pick up your staff. Split the Red Sea open. Go. What's that all about? And over and over again, you get these stories that just present a God that's difficult to handle. Because this God also says, here, make sure you do me a favor. Don't create any images around me. Deuteronomy, don't do that. You see that I have no form. You only heard my voice. You did not see a form. This is crazy in the ancient world, folks. This is nuts. In the ancient world, you create images. In the ancient world, you have a God who lives somewhere outside of the human species, the human race, because these gods are kind of despise us and they're fickle. And you have to make sure that you do enough good for these gods to come in and intervene in your regular day-to-day life, your miserable existence, to try to make your life a little bit better. And there was no idea of a God that did not have any form. And God says for the first time, these people have to worship a God without form or structure or anything. And they're trying to figure this out. And this God doesn't always respond when you want this God to respond. And when the God, this God does respond, he might say something as crazy as what are you waiting for? Get moving. Folks, if you don't read the Bible the way it's actually written, you're reading the Bible. We're not getting it, right? This is, the, this is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to sort of mess things up a little bit for you. If you're comfortable in your kind of view of God and of Christianity, then you're not really following God. Because the biblical form and what we see in the stories, the actual narratives from the Hebrew scriptures all the way to the New Testament is a God that is hard to tame. 
This God refuses to be tamed. And this God is somehow both outside of everything, without shape, without form, and also somehow remarkably present at other times. And this is what this, so, so, so again, so right now I'm being very conceptual. We're going to get to the practical in a second. But I want to do is lay out that the most important thing at this part of this sermon is that this God is not a God that we can create any sort of form or structure around that this God is outside of all of that and yet is very present. And when we pray to this God, sometimes God intervenes in miraculous ways and sometimes God does not. That's the truth. It's the truth and it's one that we don't like and I don't like. Because when I pray, I'd like God to immediately respond to my needs because I think, I think they're pretty good. I think what I'm asking for is pretty fair. Don't you? When you pray, don't you think you're asking, aren't you being fair? You know, like make, maybe, maybe make, making a couple negotiations with God. Like, you know, if you do this, I'll do that. You know, I'll behave better. I'll promise I, I'll give up this, you know. It's, I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty good people. We're making deals with this God. But somehow God doesn't always answer. There's a lot of silence. And this is the story from the book of Judges where a deliverer would come and intervene and then everything would go silent again. This is also the reason why the people after the book of Judges in, in Samuel cry out for a king. Why do you suppose that they cried out for a king in Samuel? They want exact. That's right. They say it again. They wanted a constant. They wanted some, something stable. They wanted a form. When you have no form of the divine of God, it is very unsettling. This is the reason also why Israel moved around following what a pillar of fire in cloud by, by a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And this God would just randomly get up and move. And you just had to pick up your stuff and go. Imagine living like that. They lived in the tent. They lived in tents in the desert and God would just some, yeah, just like, okay, time to pick up and move. And the people were just like, this is nuts. I hate living like this. Right? This, the divine is always doing something that is different or that, is, that we don't have uh, a, a possession of or control of. It's beyond us. Right? So silence at period of time and then suddenly intervening and then silent again. And then what happens is you have this major turn that takes place in the New Testament. Along comes this person, Jesus, and as was just read in Matthew chapter one, you shall call him Emmanuel, which means what folks? God with us. And that's exactly how Jesus lives. Jesus lives as if God is with him. The Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, the pastors of the day, they were like, Hey, we're praying for God to come in and rescue Israel from Rome. So we're under oppression of Rome. We're praying for God to come in and rescue us from this oppression. Intervene, God. 
step in to what's happening in our lives right now. We think it's a fair prayer. In fact, the very behaviors that got us into exile and then eventually allowed us to come back home, but still under oppression by foreign powers, we have finally stopped doing that. We have given up our idolatry. We're worshiping only God. And somehow God's not intervening. We're still in oppression under the, uh, under the Roman thumb. And so where's God? God's very silent during this period of time. Or is God silent? John would say, see this thing, this person named Jesus, he, he was God's word become flesh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep and the spirit was hovering above the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw and that it was good. Right? And then God begins to do more. And every time God speaks, something is created. Every time God's words, God's concepts, God's thoughts are spoken, they become physical, material, flesh. And John says, see, in John chapter one, he takes exactly what happens in, John, in Genesis chapter one, and he parallels that with Jesus. And he said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. And then in verse 14, and this word became what? Flesh and lived among us. But the world couldn't see it. See, they were still looking for the interventionist God, Superman, who's going to come from the outside. And instead you have this little Jew who's poor who isn't from any elite birth at all. He's just a savage guy. He works with his hands. He's a carpenter. Actually, he was more like a, like a mason, worked a lot with stone. His hands were rough. He wasn't sitting, opening scrolls all day long and reading the scriptures all day long and sitting among other wealthy and important and very educated and spiritual people. He was working among the people in the flesh. The word becomes flesh. It's interesting how there are times where we prefer the flesh becoming word. And it becomes more about, hey, can we just have ideas and concepts about God and just talk about that? And that feels good to us. But the word always becomes flesh in scripture. It always moves in that direction. And I just wonder how many things that we have let go of in this world simply because we prefer the safety of our church, the safety of our spirituality 
that, that, that has a lot of sort of hard, fast doctrines and theologies and concepts and ideas. And we like to make sure that they're all built up and make sure that wall of my doctrine is firm and, and the way I see this is firm and the way I do. I just want all of that, to, that structure to be very firm and very clear to make sure that I feel good and that I have certainty about what I think when it comes to God. Uh, and, 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 and that's okay. That's not, there's not the, this isn't what bashing that. Rather, it's saying that that must always become flesh. And the problem with us is we don't want to get into the flesh sometimes. Okay? So what does that look like? Well, I asked you at the beginning, what do you have hope for when it comes to things like education? Well, why are we talking about that in the church? Ooh, that's telling. If that's our first thought, what are we ta- why are we talking about science in the church? That's telling. That means that we have become a people who are more interested in word than flesh. Are you with me? Does that make sense? We're more interested in the ideas than in their manifestation of what they should look like. See, we love the seed. We're all about seeds in the church. I love the apple seed. Oh, it's great. It's awesome. I think it should, should, should stay just the way it is. I, I, I love the acorn. It's fantastic. It looks amazing. It looks like it's got a little hat. In fact, if you can, you can just draw a couple of eyes on that. It looks like a person. It's really great. It's awesome. I mean, so much you can do with those acorns. And I think we should really study the acorn and think a lot about the acorn. But the thing is that the word has to become something. And that's the reason why the analogies in the scriptures, particularly of the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus talks about it, is it's like a tree. It's like a seed that is planted and then it grows into the largest tree and it fills the whole world. And it has to. It has to become flesh. And unfortunately, the church that really believes in the ultimate goodness of God, who is all loving, all forgiving, better than us. And I hope that we have this hope that we worship a God that's better than us. That's more loving than I am. That's more grace filled than I am. I sure hope so. Because day in and day out, I see the lack of patience that I have for my family at times. And I see the lack of patience I have for people around me. And I sure hope that there's a God that is much better than I am. And I aim my, the direction of my life towards that. And that's my hope. And that's my faith that there is something better, right? But that must also turn back into what does that look like when it comes to these other things that we tend, the church that tends to hold on to these beliefs about God, that God is good. And yet we have abandoned a lot of these things that become flesh. Like think about this. Who here is in construction or has done any construction? Okay. When you do construction, you work with your hands. 
Do you just look at it as like I go to work and I just work with my hands and it that's that's the that's the that's one world. That's kind of the real world. And then I go to church and that's sort of like another world and it feels good and it's like but but the, the worlds don't connect. Hey? Jesus was a carpenter. Everything Jesus did was spirit become flesh. This must look good because I'm working in construction and I want to make something good and I want to make something beautiful. And I want it to look like heaven on earth because that's word becoming flesh. When I work in the sciences, how many are in the sciences in this room? Okay. You work in the sciences. How about education? Who's in education? Who's in, who's in the field of, of psychology? Okay. These are areas, all of these are areas that the church should be front and center leaning into saying, this is what word become, becomes flesh looks like in my field. Are you with me? See, the thing is that this goes into what we call the incarnational God versus just the interventionist God. So um, I never even looked at these notes. I, I apologize. I have like a million scriptures in here, but I didn't get to them. So this is the God in heaven or the interventionist God, the God that most of us imagine when we grow up as kids. Pray to the God up in the sky. Right? Um, this is more like Christ in you. Right? It's, it's, it's not something we always see, but it's something that's present within us. Um, already went through that, went through that passage. Um, let me just read, read to you. Um, so, when someone says uh, to you, um, this is a, a, a thought. When someone says to you, uh, just give it to God. You know, you've heard that before. Just, just give it to God. Um, it may be that they notice, they're noticing a worry or a fixation, or you trying to control things you can't, you cannot. However, you can respond this way. I have given it to God and God gave it back. <laughs> See, that's the way, the, that's the way it, it works. Because, see, God does like to intervene. No, no question. And God does intervene. Thank God for that. But God does not. This is the reason why I think it's so interesting how Judges, the book of Judges, where we started, has this intervening God and then silence. And this happens a lot in the life of Moses and a lot in the life of Abraham. Abraham particularly. It seems like God goes years without doing anything or saying anything. Because it's this idea of the intervention is God, and we hold on to that. And we keep praying for God to intervene constantly. But there comes a point where God starts to shift that and go, I want to get you out of just simply me rescuing you and you starting to understand that there is this thing called Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27. And I... I think I may have skipped. Yeah. Colossians 1, 25 through 27. I've become its servant. This is the apostle Paul speaking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. 
The word of God is this mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. At this point, the gospel is only for the Jews. And Paul is starting to take it to the Gentiles. To make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is the mystery? Christ in you. That's the hope of glory, folks. Christ in you is the hope of glory, not Christ coming back to rescue us from our problems. But the incarnational God, this is the whole point of the incarnation, is Christ in you. And this is what Paul is doing in Colossians. Read Colossians 1 and chapters 1 and 2 together. If you read chapters 1 and 2 and you reread them several times, you're going to start to get the flow of thought that Paul has in there which is Christ has come in the person of Jesus Christ. This is God in the flesh. But then he is making this point that this is what Christ is now doing in us, is it's Christ in us. We are the incarnation of God. Are you with me? This is the whole point of the Holy Spirit being sent out and Jesus leaving is because the point is you now have Christ within you. So when you make a decision, you make a decision with that in you. Now you say, well, then how do I know? If I'm praying for God to intervene, it's clear. God intervened in my life. And that's obvious. It's like these miracles or signs and all this. That's clear. But you're asking me to trust what then? How does Christ in me work? It's a good question, isn't it? It has to become practical, folks. If it doesn't become practical, it's useless to us. All it is, is just, it makes us feel good, and then we go home, and that's it. But it has to become practical. How do you follow the Christ within you? Well, let me put it out there to you. How do you do it? What are some answers? <laughs> Strangely quiet. How does Christ work in you? How do you know? The guidance of God in you. But how does it work? How do you know? How can you trust this fault? What do you you sense in you, the Christ in you, guiding you? How do you sense it? Through feelings. feelings. Okay, excellent. What else? You say thanks every day for what you have. Okay, what else? Confirmations. Confirmations, sure, yeah. Exactly, because sometimes you need need confirmation, right? Sometimes you're like, I don't know, that's like, eh. I feel like I should have pizza right now, and I'm not sure if that's the right thing. Um, what else? Thoughts, right. Burdens, like a heavy feeling. Yeah. What else? Sometimes when it feels counter to what makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm with you, my friend. When it comes to things of the head, it's like, I think this makes a lot of sense to me, and then I'll get this other thought that will make no sense. Right? But that's intuition. There's sometimes this gut intuition, which I believe is spirit working through us. Right? So these are gut intuitions, right? You have this like, I just have this knowing and I don't know how I know this. Or I have a sense or a thought that came in that's contrary to my previous thought. So yeah, that, that's, that's the way it works. Yeah. Uh, trusting an unction. Trusting an unction. What's an unction? Just a, a gut feeling that it's in there. You don't know how it got in there, but you could either suppress it or you could give it. Yeah. Trust the giving it, and you put it out there because you trust it. Yeah. 
Yeah, see that that's that's right on, John, uh, Joe. That's the way it works. Is like you, you you have to move out. You 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 have this feeling that this gut feeling, like I, I think I'm supposed to do this, and many times we hold back, and you try to prove it. Yeah, that's yeah. That's really good, Chris. Yes, when you try to prove this thing, right? It's like you're trying. You, you, really, what it is is like anxiety and fear, isn't it? Right? So whatever you move in anxiety and fear, you're not moving from with the spirit of Christ in you. Right? So you kind of have to just move and test it. Right? You do it, and then you, oh, crap, that wasn't from God. That was just like, I screwed that one up. That's okay. That's so okay. Like, we have to get over our fear of making mistakes because incarnational Christ means you will make mistakes because you're not perfect and you're working at discerning, is this my voice? Is this a right decision? Is that? You don't always know, but you have to try. But here in our community, we have this value and that is grace. You're already given grace. You're already forgiven. So just move out and do it. But do it from a place of, you're doing it from a place of faith and experimenting and trying. Let me see if this works. And it's okay if you get it wrong. You just got to do it. So you trust this sort of gut feel, this intuition, this sense. I think I'm supposed to do it. I have a feeling. I, I hear over and over again, someone, I don't I forget if it was in here, one of you. Um, but someone said to me, I wish, I just had a sense I was supposed to talk to somebody. And I didn't. And then something tragic happened. You're carrying the weight of that. See, you know, just forgive yourself. Um, because it isn't, it, it, you know, so that happens a lot. Where you have the sense you're supposed to do something and then the, the, then the moment passes and you didn't do it. All right? So just learn from that. Like, can I have less fear? Can I move more in faith? All right? You with me? Move in faith, not in fear. Amen? Good way to just sort of finish. And that's incarnational work. So we get out of this interventionist God always trying to rescue me from problems to then saying, can Christ live within me? And can I start to move out and trust that maybe Christ could actually guide me from within? So I call that the, you have your internal GPS. We all do. And the more you lean, the more you trust it, the more you keep working at it and experimenting with it, the more true it will become. Does that make sense? Awesome. Let's. Stand and worship together. So I, um, my family has had a pretty tough month and I thought it was really ironic that I was doing the benediction for hope. Um, we had a lot of, uh, severe health issues on both sides of the family. So I think this was particularly good for me to do this. Um, as I was looking this morning, something that I found was the acronym for HOPE, Hold On, Pain Ends. So for those of you who maybe aren't seeing the shiny, sparkly parts of HOPE, but are more like, what does that mean in my life? Maybe it means hold on, pain ends. Desmond Tutu said, HOPE is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. So my prayer for you this week is that you see the hope around you despite all of the darkness, that you see that there is light everywhere. Blessings on your week.